Look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. I think I'm loud enough. Maybe bring me up. Check, check. I love when the sound guys look at me like, it's you, it couldn't be me. <laughs> so funny. It's always interesting when I change it up on them, though. I'm switching mics. <clears throat> so, hey, I'm so glad that you're here. My name's Sam. I'm the group who's been the lead pastor here at Crossroads. And what that means is every single week I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator, or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus, and Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. Actually, he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like, you don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about, <clears throat> we wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And uh, what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. So if you forgot your Bible, we got you covered. You can just slip up your hand and one of our ushers will get one to you. And, uh, and then if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We pray that you take that, read it every single day because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, I want you to turn in your Bible to the book of Titus. And um, we're going to be picking up basically where I left off last week. <clears throat> Let me uh, preface um, how this morning is going to feel much different because I feel much different, if you can't already tell. Uh, it's been a, an interesting week at, at my house. Uh, my children have been sick. Uh, my son was in the hospital for a couple nights, and um, he's doing much better. Viruses that uh, added to uh, some as asthma that we didn't know was there. And so uh, be praying for my son, Zane, and my wife and my kids are all home uh, today. And uh, last week, for those of you who don't know, if you were in first service, I heard people go, man, first service was awesome. And apparently I preached way too hard and did way too much on my voice because if you were in second service, you were like, it wasn't so awesome. Uh, <clears throat> Because about five minutes into the service, I uh, tried to preach uh, very uh, dramatically, and my voice went out and completely left, and I couldn't say another word. Um, Joe was in the lobby, uh, said on the screen it looked like I was choking, and yet I didn't see him run in and try to save me. <laughs> Sometimes I was like, you realize the implication of what you just said, right? You're like, I just froze. It's like... What were you hoping happened, you know? And, uh, <clears throat> and so, anyway, so th that means, uh, and I also had a memorial service at 3 o'clock last week, and uh, I got better until the last line of the memorial service, and then my voice went out again. And, and uh, so it's interesting. There were other people around that had something similar happen. They lost their voice for three days. Uh, they just don't speak for a living. Uh, and so... Um, I'm going to do my best to uh, keep my calm, and, uh, and so then that means uh, you got to stay calm, and, uh, and then at the same time, I, I want you to uh, just stay engaged uh, in a way. I think there's some important things uh, that <clears throat> we didn't get to last week, um, and as much as uh, I always feel like if, uh, if, if I don't say it in a way where you believe what I'm talking about, uh, and I, I, I seriously believe the things that I preach. I couldn't sleep at night if, if I didn't. 
And, uh, and so I get excited and I want to, I want to convey that to you. And when you hear me speak, I want you to hear, man, this guy actually believes this stuff. I mean, I don't know if it's true or not, but he actually believes it, right? He might be crazy, um, but he believes it. And so in that, I believe the things I'm saying this morning, I'm just going to have to keep my calm a little bit and keep my voice at a little different pace. And, uh, and so, uh, you're going to bear with me, right? Amen. Because you love the next service because uh, they're not going to get, uh, if, I, if I preach to you too hard, I'm not going to get. Um, and the embarrassing thing was there's 100, peop- 100 people in Lompoc watching this happen on screen. And uh, so maybe you don't know, we, we stream the second service live uh, from those cameras to a large screen. There, one of our board members was in here just a minute ago, Fred Hayes. And he was like, hey, I got to go to Lompoc. So he came here for Joe's thing, and now he's on his way to Lompoc. And, and there'll be a crowd of people there. And uh, the reason why we do that is uh, there's a group of people for many years who would travel to uh, this campus from Lompoc, and we believe, man, God's already put people there. But it's really hard to reach your friends unless they already knew Jesus or they were already church people to say, hey, let's drive 20 minutes to the Builton campus. And so we said, hey, uh, let's invest in that area. And, and what we've seen is people are coming and, and, and it's growing and, and God is blessing and, and we love that God's put us there. Amen. So that's all the side stuff, and I've probably already um, wasted some of my, my voice in uh, the, uh, the side notes. So let's get right into it. Uh, Titus, uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 9. You can say amen when you're there. Titus, chapter 1, verse 9, um, reads like this. He must hold... Firm And he, if you remember in last week, is talking about the qualifications of a pastor, an elder, a bishop, someone who's teaching like we're doing now. Uh, This is directly to someone in my position. And so you need to hear what the scriptures instruct someone like me. Here's what he says. Paul writes to to Titus, a young protege on the island of Crete, just off the coast of Greece, a very uh, cultured area, a very specific uh, culture to that island. And, <clears throat> and so people are conflicted constantly because there's the way of life that is local, and then there's what Paul is telling them and what the Christian faith brings to them. And so there's always going to be a contrast between what the culture is doing and what Christ is calling you to. Amen? Let me say that again. That was pretty good, right? Uh, There's always a contrast between what the culture is calling you to and what Christ is calling you to. And if you flow easily in the stream of culture, then possibly, more than likely, you are not following Christ. If you flow with the stream of culture easily, then the litmus test would tell you, that you're probably not following Christ. And that's the things we have to deal with this morning. We have to go, okay, then what does Christ call me to? Well, one of those things is being in a setting like this where there is someone who holds firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. Say sound doctrine. I'm going to make you guys talk more today. Amen? Uh, 
and also rebuke those who contradict it. So to teach sound doctrine and then stop someone in their tracks who teaches against sound doctrine. And so there's the way of Christ, there is doctrine, uh, there is um, sound teaching that shows us the person of Jesus. It doesn't have loopholes in it. It doesn't have, uh, it's not cracking in its foundation. It is sound. It is firm. And it is firm on the foundation of Christ. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers. Last week we only dealt with insubordinate. I'll touch on that just for a moment. Insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. And what he means by that is the religious party. How many of you know that some of the most dangerous people on the planet are religious people? Some of the most dangerous people on the planet are religious people. You know any? Right? They must be silenced. Look at somebody say, shut your mouth. Right? They must be, they must be silenced. His words. You go, can't we all get along? Can't we just hear thought? Like, can't we be tolerant of other ideas? How do we know that we have a monopoly on truth? Because Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. Now notice that he's not just talking about anyone. He's talking about religious people who teach this who contradict it, who try to pull other people away. There's a difference in the people who are leading the movement rather than people who are caught up in the movement. Let me say that again. There's a difference between the people who are leading a movement, a movement away from the person of Jesus, leading something contrary to sound art. There's a difference with the people who are leading it than the people who are caught up in it. Amen? Empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party, they must be silenced. This, they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not teach. You ever had family disputes over religion or politics? Don't look at them. <clears throat> right? And he says, listen, here's the problem. It is this type of, these people are upsetting entire family units. Because it seeps in. And, and now there's argument. They're deceiving people. They must be silenced. Because, man, the most precious thing on the, the, the planet is your family. Amen? Oh, you should do better. They're sitting with you this morning. <laughs> right? Some of the, the most precious thing on the planet is your family. Amen? Yeah. <clears throat> and Because out of that flows everything. Man, your, your children are a byproduct of that. Man, the, the family unit. And so we have to talk through that because next week we're going to talk about what the, the roles in the family are and, and how do we talk about a healthy family. And then what if we don't have the idea of a healthy family? Because some of us didn't always grow up in the ideal family. Amen? And so by God's grace, how do we move towards health and towards the person of Christ even when it's not ideal? Amen? Three of you think that. Thank you. Amen? That was better. They're upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not teach. One of the Cretans, he uses their, their people. He uses, let's say, their stand-up comedian. Because uh, here's what I think. Podcasters and stand-up comedians are the prophets of the day. 
And sometimes they are far more prophetic than the church. They're willing to say, they're willing to offend. And so we have to be able to do the same. So you have to ask the question, why, why am I okay with this famous podcaster speaking and spitting truth, but I don't think my pastor should go there? Should I drop this? That was pretty good, right? Uh, I'm okay with my, the podcast. I'm okay with the book. I'm okay, I'm okay with a stand-up comedian, and you'll share it, and you'll go, yeah, yeah, but I don't know that, I don't know that Pastor Sam should go there on, on Sunday morning, right? I don't know that that's what that's for. And you need to ask the question, why? And why is it when he says here, you should, you should be in a setting. He starts with pastors and leaders who are of good character, above reproach, not quick-tempered, drunk, uh, drunks. They're thought of well by others in so many ways. doesn't mean that they bid for the attentions of others and they only placate towards popularity. That's not what it says. Amen. But you'd put yourself in a setting with faithful people and then together struggle with the truth. And you, you look for teachers and people who hold firm to sound doctrine and are willing to rebuke and silence those who do not. And the reason why you should be listening to people who are around you the most, not because you know them, amen? I'll get to that in a moment. He says, one of your prophets says Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. He gives a stereotype of this island. And a stereotype oftentimes is a stereotype because there's truth hidden in it. doesn't mean that it's always true, but it's a characterization. And he says, listen, one of your own says this is the culture. Liars, evildoers, and lazy gluttons. I know it's really hard to relate to a group of people who might have that title. This testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply. Rebuke who? Cretans who move away from Christ but move towards lying, evil doing, and being lazy and gluttonous. Rebuke them sharply. Nip it in the bud. Make it quick so they may be sound in faith. Not devoting themselves to Jewish myths, and we're going to talk about that for a moment, and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. I want you to underline that. They do not devote themselves to myths, religious myths. They don't, it's not just any type of spirituality, just anything goes. That's not what he's saying. They don't devote themselves to it or devoted to people who turn away from the truth. Who you know in one breath tell lies, but for some reason you're tempted to believe them in other areas. He goes, no, no, no. You can't be devoted to such things to the pure all things are pure but to the defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure but both their minds and their consciences are defiled they profess to know god but they deny them deny him by their works they are detestable disobedient unfit for any good work verse one chapter two but as for you look at somebody and say that's you This is what we have to do. Somebody point your finger at me. Say, that's you, Pastor Sam. Right? But you must teach what accords with sound doctrine. Next week, he's then going to go into older men to be sober-minded, self-controlled. Then he's going to talk to, to the ladies. Then he's going to talk to the children. He's going to talk to the family unit. So we broke down some of the text. Now I want to give you some implication from it. Let's pray together.
Gracious Heavenly Father, I ask for strength, life to my voice. I thank you for being with Sarah and I this week. Uh, I thank you that you're healing my son Zane, my children. We rebuke sickness. I pray for Pastor Tyler and Becca who are sick today. Uh, I, uh, Jesus, if this is some kind of spiritual attack, I ask you to uh, lift us out of it. If it's lessons we're supposed to learn and what the enemy meant for evil, you're turning around for good. I think you already what you're doing in my family's heart, my wife and I's heart, as we care for our children together. I thank you for that opportunity. I thank you that it's in suffering that you shape us. And so help us today. Help me today. Uh, let this not be about a personality or a style. Let this be about the truth of God's word as we struggle together and wrestle with the text. And if we fight well, others will win. And we thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So last week we talked about those who are insubordinate, which means that they do not accept the authority of Scripture. That's the number one thing. They are insubordinate. They do not accept spiritual authority. And so in this particular time, it was those who had followed Jesus around, people who would later write books of the Bible. And so their leading was authoritative in the church. And then they wrote Bible, and that's good for you and I, who now get the opportunity to read that. And Jesus prayed for us as we looked at John 17. He prayed for us who would not see yet still believe. He prayed for us, and he looks at his disciples and said, I'm praying for those who will believe on account of these. Well, what was he talking about? On account of the disciples and those who were with Jesus, who would later write Bible, and we would listen to their stories. We would read their stories and their teachings. Why? Because they were closest to Jesus. If you wanted a recipe from mama and them, right, you'd go to the daughter who was closest to mama, Amen. Right? You ever had that happen? Well, she, she was always in the kitchen with mom. I, I want to know how she made that. Well, what do you do? I want, I want to get to the closest person to her who spent time with her. It's the same way. These people were with Jesus. This was requirement for being an, considered an apostle who would later write scripture. So there are categories for what books of the Bible, because oftentimes there's a question, well, what about these books and those books? Well, the reason why these are in there is the early church accepted them as authoritative. They made copies of these letters, and they, they, they circulated them around from house to house, and they lived their lives based on them. Why? Because these people who wrote them were closest to Jesus. Are you with me? Now, Paul was the disputed one because Paul wasn't a disciple of Jesus. He was opposed to Jesus. He actually murdered Christians. And so you ask the question, well, how did he end up writing 16 books of the New Testament? Well, he had a radical encounter with the risen Lord. Jesus actually appeared to him. We go, well, that's no different than Muhammad, and we don't think that the Quran is authoritative. No, we do not. Well, that's no different than, than an angel appearing to Joseph Smith and, and telling him about the books of Mormon. You go, well, how is that authoritative? Well, see, Paul is quite different than Muhammad, and Paul is quite different than Joseph Smith because he was not looking for God. It was the exact opposite. 
Muhammad was looking for God and then said an angel appeared to him 1,500 years after the resurrection and he writes more about the resurrection than anything else. Jesus is in the book of Quran. The only woman mentioned in the book of Quran is Miriam or Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so 1,500 years later, an angel appears to Muhammad and he writes the Quran and says, this is what an angel revealed to me. One book one author by one angel. You know what the Bible is? 66 books, a library of books, multiple different people, over thousands of years put together. And the New Testament is written within a generation. Before the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, all of the books of the New Testament were written. And Paul, one of those who everyone was skeptical of because he was actually going to kill Christians, has this radical encounter and he goes from, mar from, from murdering Christians to what history would tell us is he was martyred for Christianity. Listen, people do not, on the extremes of things, do not have conversions like this. Have you ever met anyone on the extreme of something? I'll wait. People on the extremes do not make radical conversions unless something happens. And so people were skeptical. They tested Paul. They made him spend time with them. It was years before he could even join a small group. Could you imagine someone getting saved and no one's like, hey, he's not coming over to our house. I heard what he did. At like, no, like this is a Trojan horse or something. Like, no, he's not coming. Right, come on, let him come. He's, ch he's changed. He's like, no, right? And yet years, and then finally, his suffering. And he went from being a Pharisee of Pharisees who did not associate with Greeks to being the leading missionary for Gentile people, people like you and I. This is what's different. And yet he tells on himself he doesn't hide his story. He's open and honest. He's not trying to be a guru. He says, I am chief sinner. I got a little too excited there. And yet, that's the difference. He writes this book. He tells us, hey, this is, this is how God calls us to live. Hey, Titus, I want you to get people around. Put into order what I left undone and teach people sound doctrine. And here is the doctrine. So he says, because there are people around you, they're insubordinate. What does he mean? They're not willing to submit to the apostles' teaching, the apostles' writing, and they are beginning to teach other things. Do you know there are people who still today do not submit to the word of God, but yet preach from this book? There are people who open these books, because here's what we have to decide is, well, how do I know? Because there are people even down the street who open the book the same way I do, but when they talk about Jesus, we're talking about someone completely different. When they talk about Jesus, Jesus was a political revolutionary who got himself killed by the Romans for what he said. And what the Bible teaches me is that no one takes his life. He gives his life freely as ransom for many. He stood in front of the Roman Empire, and, and Pilate says, aren't you going to beg for your life? Pilate's frustrated and upset, and, and, and he doesn't know what to do with this man, and he's in charge. This is Carpenter's son, who never traveled more than 150 miles from his home. This guy is putting a guy like Pilate in his place, and, and P Jesus looks at Pilate and says, no one takes my life, but I give it freely.
There are people who open this book and say that resurrection is a metaphor for some type of transcendent life. See, what's happened is new age ideology has infiltrated the church in such a way that what they mean by enlightenment has, has now been uh, uh, kind of substituted in the Christian talk for resurrected life. And what they really mean is enlightenment. But can I tell you that the, the scripture tells us that we all were dead in our trespasses and sin. Man, I don't know about you, but there was a time in my life where I felt dead. I felt like a, a, a dead man walking. And it wasn't until I met Jesus that he raised me to new life. And now Christians are hyper aware that there are two yous that live in you. You ever met them? Some, some, people, some of you need to have a talk with you. Right? And knock it off, right? And, and you're aware. And this is what I think Christians should talk about more. Not perfection, but the pursuit because here's what Paul will go on to say. He'll say, I'm, therefore, I'm crucified with Christ daily. So it's no longer I who live, the old me, but the new me who lives. That's why Christians look radically different. They're not on a pursuit of God. God goes after them. Most of our stories is we don't know how we ended up here. I can't believe it. It was like I look back on my story and realize there he was there. He used that moment and that difficulty and that pain and that setback. That's what motivated me forward. It wasn't me going for a pursuit of God as, an, as a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, upstate New Yorker, and I found God at nine years old. Really? We're going to believe that story, right? No, we don't. Some of you don't know that story, and that's probably good. You should look that story up. And so the reason why we follow the Scripture is the radical change, the radical suffering, the radical desire for people to know Jesus in spite of whatever they face. That's why we see this Scripture as authoritative. So then you have to ask the question, was it real? Did these men give up their lives? Did they see someone raised from the dead and, and, and that radically changed them? And then they are teaching me what they heard from the Son of God himself. And will I take that as truth or will I take it as good advice? And can I tell you that the Bible is called good news, the gospel. It's good news and it's better than good advice. Amen? Good news. Well, sound doctrine is from the scriptures. Sound doctrine is teaching us things that have implications for, let me say it this way. Teaching from the scriptures gives eternal implications, not temporary satisfaction. Let me say that again. Preaching from the scripture gives you things that have eternal implication, not just temporary satisfaction. Good advice is trying to make you happy. Good advice is telling you something that will help with your overall resolve or your job or how to make more money or how to do better and be better. That's good advice. Good news is telling you something's happened. Reality now is, looks different. I'm awakened to what is actually true and i got to decide, will I follow and respond to the good news that has happened? And the second idea that teachers teach what is empty, empty talk. See, there's a lot of good advice out there. 
There's a lot of good stand-up comedians and podcasters who can give you good advice, but there's one truth that leads to life. And life that death cannot stop, that death cannot overcome, that the fear of death, the shadow of death cannot stop. The, the preaching of sound doctrine, which is the announcement that our God and King came, lived and died and rose again, and now life and death look fundamentally different. Amen? So then Christians mourn differently. Christians hope differently. Christians look sickness and disease in the face differently. Christians face suffering. Man, I, I had a friend tell me one time that a pastor told him unless he was completely healed, God wouldn't give glory. But yet I've seen him suffer well with a disease that he's had since he was a young boy. And yet how could... Suffering will not point to Jesus. I think one of the most miraculous things that the church of Jesus Christ has lost because of empty talkers who preach health, wealth, and prosperity and not the suffering of Christ that leads us to new life. And so there are people who have empty talk. What is empty talk? It will not sustain you when stuff hits the fan. It will not hold you when the kid is sick. It will not hold you when the report says cancer. It will not hold you when tragedy hits you. It will not hold you because it is empty. It will not satisfy. And there are people out there who teach this. And it may f sound great and it may attract a lot of crowds. Let me remind you that Jesus on one day fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children, with a lunchable lunchbox. The next day they came back looking for a free lunch, and he says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, which I am completely frustrated with that verse in the Bible. Can I just say that? It's a hard one. Like, do we have really the cannibal version? Did you, did you, have, to, did you have to go there, right? Now, obviously, he's speaking metaphorically, but he says, unless you eat my life, Unless you take everything, not Christianity on Sunday, but every aspect trading your life in exchange for his. And can I tell you, his life is better. He writes a better story. He gives life, beautiful life, even in the midst of difficulty. Notice that some of the best stories you've ever heard are the difficult ones. Some of the movies you watch, some of the stories are about triumph in the middle of suffering. And yet sometimes what we hope is that people on stages like this and parkers will tell me everything's going to go well, but Jesus has a better story for you. Jesus has a better story in the middle of struggle. He has a better story because he'll use suffering to shape you and your entire family. He'll use it to unite you. He'll use it to bring you together. He'll use it in order that you pray again. You ever notice how little we pray until stuff hits the fan? And like, God, I know I haven't called you in a while. Right? I had to get the preacher to share your contact. Right? No, and he wants to talk with you. He wants to guide you. And so people who preach <clears throat> in a way that's empty, that's not difficult, that just, just 
panders to your affection, only preaches for applause, only preaches in ways that stirs you. And if they ever get onto you, it's because I want you to accomplish your dreams. How about his dreams? Because his dreams are bigger and better than yours. Because his ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So you have to decide, do I, do I want preachers who will tickle my ears or do I want people who will hold firm to sound doctrine and they will rebuke me when I move into lying to myself and to others, when I move into debauchery and evil doing, when I move into being lazy and gluttonous. Timothy, Paul writes in Timothy that in the last days they will not tolerate sound doctrine. In the last days, they will not tolerate speech that hurts, speech that cuts. They will not tolerate it. Their gods will be their stomachs. Why? Because when you eat, you get this endorphins in your brain. That's why it's called comfort food. Praise God. Right? Sometimes we... Man, we, we, we do this, and, and then we live in a place where we think work is evil. Can I just tell you, let me, let, me, let, me just, let me just throw away all of the doctrines of demons that comes from Marxist ideology. Work came before the fall. God gave work in the garden. Work is for your good. Order this. Adam, I want you to tend to the garden I want you to take care of this. See, I'm convinced that when we find things that we work hard to the glory of God, not looking like we're working for someone else, that's why Paul says don't do anything for man, but work to the glory of God. Some of us need to be reminded that our job was given to us for a reason, so I could work well in the middle of others who do not. Man, uh, I, I, we should stand in contrast. We should work harder and longer and better and be people committed. Not going easy with the culture where we want things easy. Because if you live easily in the stream of culture, then you're probably not following Christ. Does that mean that if you follow Christ, everything will be difficult? No. Everything's difficult already. You're welcome. Right? The Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust alike. People are facing it, whether they're in church, out of church, whether they've messed up, whether they got it all together. Listen, this isn't magic. This isn't sorcery. This is life. And God will walk every step of the way with us. The question is, in the difficulty, do you want to move away and live life alone? Or will you live with him? That's the good news of the scripture. Terry, won't you come up? Because Joe quit on me. I'm making a lot of jokes for the next few weeks. 
Uh, I realized that I prepared three sermons and not two after all. Um, here's the beautiful thing about where we're at in Titus, and we're going to take our time through it, is instead of just trying to get through it, this may take us all summer. It's only, it's most of your Bibles, it's only three pages. It's going to take us all summer. <laughs> um, there's some more things I want to talk about, about sound doctrine. Um, that we just don't have time for, that I need to make sure we slow down and talk about. Um, so then next week, just to give you a precursor, I, I'm going to talk about how, because I say this is good news, but you go, there's some difficult stuff in the Bible. You ever read some difficult stuff in the Bible? You avoid that stuff now, don't you? All right, there's some stuff. There's some difficult stuff. Life, death, heaven, hell, the afterlife, eternal life. What happens when we die? There's some tough stuff in here. You go, how could this be good news? I'm actually next week going to preach you a sermon on the good news in the reality of hell. How knowing there is a hell is good news, actually. See, I think it's been hijacked, and I want to hold fast and firm. So this isn't a sermon that you want to miss. There are people that I talked about, insubordinate, who do not submit to the Scripture, who want to erase hell from the Scriptures. And actually, I want to tell you how God could not be good unless there was a hell. So I'm going to teach you that next week. Today, I want to pray for you. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for helping us today. I thank you that you help us more and more understand that your word is authoritative and helpful for our lives. We thank you that you've given us grace to hear you, to know you, to be loved by you. Help us as a church to hold firm to sound doctrine and teaching. Help me as a pastor not be afraid to teach difficult things. Let me not be swayed and manipulated by the popularity of people. Let us not look to celebrity or wealth as a marker for truth because they are counterfeit glory. You have everything and you are glorious and beautiful beyond belief. We will not follow the counterfeit of wealth and fame, but we'll wrestle in the dirt that is life. And we know you'll be there with us every step of the way. We thank you. We praise you for your glory and the good of this valley. And everyone said, amen. amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?